Welcome to the Isle Podcast. I'm John Prose, a former state representative and state senator in the state of Michigan. And I'm David Rutledge, also a former representative in Michigan. Together, we've seen firsthand how the aisle separates one side from the other. The aisle can, in many instances though, bring us together. Today, we will explore just how the aisle has influenced our leaders and public servants, Republicans and Democrats elected and appointed. So join us in the aisle, where together we can deepen our understanding of the things that separate us and explore just how we can work together for the common good. Hey, John Prose, uh, can you believe we're on the threshold of season two? For it's the finally, finally time for us to get back together and and talk about what the aisle can bring for all of us. I'll tell you, David, it's been a it's been a great opportunity to work together with you through the start of that first season. And now with the second season, we get an opportunity to talk to some great people again. John, it's been tremendous fun. Uh, and just think about uh, the guests that we have and the guests that we will have and the uh, the wealth of information, uh, it, it, both personal and uh, just public policy kinds of uh, information that, that we are gleaming from, from our guests. It's just special. And we kick off se- season two with a very special guest. Yeah, with, you bet. Uh, would, would you introduce and Absolutely. welcome to the aisle our guest? Absolutely. So the Vice President of Government Relations for the Detroit Regional Chamber. Many in the political circles of Michigan know him because he is everywhere when it comes to to the time of year that many folks look forward to, which is the the Mackinac Chamber Conference, which is the Detroit Regional Chamber's premier event of the year. So with that, we get the opportunity today to learn a little bit more about Brad Williams, the Vice President of Government Affairs and Government Relations at the Detroit Regional Chamber of Commerce. Brad, welcome. David, John, thank you so much for having me. It's so great to see you both today and, and get a chance to spend some time with you. As as you know, I've been a, a, a longtime listener and, and, and fan of the work you're doing. So I'm just glad to be able to spend some time with you today. Brad, welcome to the aisle. Uh, we're just honored that you'd take carve out a little bit of time uh, to visit with us. I, I have watched you from afar uh, over a number of years, uh, but in your role as VP for government relations with the Detroit Chamber, it just seems to be a perfect fit for you. Now, but can you share with our listeners that just didn't happen overnight? <laughs> how did, uh, tell us about uh, Brad Williams and how uh, all of the things and experiences that, uh, that make you so great in the role that you are in right now. Well, you know, the, the funny thing about uh, coming to do this role as an advocate, you know, not just for the private sector and for free enterprise, but an advocate for the Detroit region is that I, I've never lived in the Detroit region. Uh, I grew up in a small town up north, uh, Charlevoix, uh, right uh, at the tip of your fourth finger. If you're looking at the if you're looking at your hand like the state of Michigan. Uh, and so, you know, a guy like me wouldn't typically fall into the job I've had. But I often tell people that. Uh, when I was growing up, like I think most people in the state of Michigan, we had Channel 50 uh, on our cable system. And so when I'd turn on uh, the cartoons when I got home from school, I would you know, turn on Voltron or whatever it was, I would turn them on, on to Channel 50. And so even as a uh, young kid growing up, uh, I felt like 
uh, a Detroiter by extension. My dad uh, read the Detroit News. Uh, I uh, saw all the bumpers for the Channel 50 News uh, uh, coming on at 10 o'clock. So I always felt uh, connected uh, into this city and into this region. And then when I got out of college and started as, as a uh, staffer in Lansing, I always had great respect for this organization. You know, this organization has been around now for 120 years. And as you both know, as former legislators, you know, it's built its uh, reputation on being problem solvers uh, and not really focusing on uh, throwing bombs and uh, uh, making political hay, but really on uh, getting down to brass tacks and figuring out what are the issues that uh, are important to our members and are important to our regions, our region and, and getting those problems solved. And so, you know, I was uh, working at the Michigan Department of Transportation on what is now known as the Gordie Howe International Bridge. And uh, the only other organization that was still interested or was interested at the time in that project uh, was the Detroit Regional Chamber. Uh, and I thought to myself, well, this is if this is an organization that is uh, this interested in a piece of good public policy that is uh, flying in the face of the moneyed interests, uh, then this is an organization that I want to work for. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, uh, a job became uh, open. And you know, now it's been 15 years uh, since I've been at the chamber, and and I love it. I've loved every minute of it. Um, working at an organization like the chamber, you get to work on. Uh, just about every issue. You know, there's very few uh, issues that uh, legislators deal with that doesn't touch uh, the business uh, business uh, association uh, in some way or doesn't touch the Detroit region in some way. Uh, and so it's, it, it still feels like uh, working in the public sector. I still get to work on uh, the, the issues that interest me, the issues that are important to Michiganders and to Detroiters. Uh, it, it just pays a little bit better than working in the public sector. Yeah, well, Brad, looking back over uh, your experiences in Lansing and the projects that you've worked on in those 15 years um, uh, with the chamber, I, 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 can you think of one or two that stand out in your mind uh, that you've uh, that you are, are proud to have touched and had some influence in, in making happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned the Gordie Howe Bridge earlier, and uh, you know, I won't belabor this point other than to tell a funny story. When my daughter was uh, about two or three years old, there was one day she was in the back of the car, and she asked, she said, uh, "Daddy, uh, when are we going to go to Detroit and see the bridge that you built?" So. You know, I know we all have a way of kind of heightening our own importance uh, in any given issue. Uh, that may be one instance where I went too far. Uh, but there was, you know, we all remember that, uh, you know, about 10 years ago, the city of Detroit went through uh, a pretty catastrophic time uh, through its municipal bankruptcy. Uh, and, and you both remember as well uh, that there was some pretty tough times, that, particularly in Lansing, uh, that uh, legislators had to make some tough votes to help uh, get through the grand bargain that, um, you know, not only saved the city of Detroit, saved the Detroit Institute of Arts, uh, and put the city on a, uh, on a path forward. And, you know, I'm sitting uh, downtown right now. I can see uh, the, the infrastructure that's gone up, gone up for the Grand Prix. You can see the life that has come back uh, into this city uh, since the legislature did uh, all that heavy lifting uh, over a decade ago. Uh, and, you know, you know, when I'm an old man and no longer working, uh, I'm always going to have uh, that uh, that piece of public policy to point back to 
uh, and, and, and say that I was, you know, a, a small part, but a part of uh, uh, being part of the resurrection of, uh, of one of America's great cities. Wonderful. Yeah, I've got to ask the question, too. When, when you consider, Brad, how, how challenging these topics are, particularly when the, the city of Detroit has such an outsized influence for the, all the right reasons, but an outsized influence on the legislative process, how, how were you able to sell that sort of a conversation to legislators like me, who was in a, what you all in the Detroit area call outstate, David? I don't yeah. know why you call me outstate, but <laughs> Southwest Michigan is where I was. That's yeah. a, that's a tough sell. I mean, you you've got to be able to make the connection on just how this is an important thing for for the constituents in Southwest Michigan and Northeast, uh, you know, way up in the Northeast. Let alone Marquette in the UP. How, how do you yeah, make that I connection? I mean, I think we were really fortunate, John, and and I think you would probably agree with this. We were really fortunate in the fact that we had Governor Snyder uh, in the big chair at that time, uh, and Governor Snyder saw the importance of uh, of coming in and intervening in the city of Detroit. And if if we hadn't had the leadership of Governor Snyder uh, bringing his partners, uh, Republican partners in the legislature along, I don't know if we had got we would have gotten that far. Uh, I think that was buoyed by the election of Mayor Duggan. Uh, you know, I, I, I think most people would agree that Mayor Duggan has been one of uh, the finest public servants uh, this city, if not this state, uh, has ever seen. Uh, and so that gave um, folks like you, John, uh, even more confidence that the city uh, was going to be well governed and well managed going forward. Uh, and, and the third one is John Walsh, um, who was a Republican member of the state legislature, the state house at the time. Uh, John is from Livonia uh, uh, in Wayne County. Uh, and John had spent a, a, a fair amount of time as well uh, in the city of Detroit uh, and knew its strengths, uh, knew its weaknesses, uh, but really dug into this issue along with Tommy Stallworth, a, a Democrat from Detroit at the time, and really brought some credibility to the issue. And so um, you know, like I said, I was a very, very small piece uh, of this puzzle. There were a lot of people who uh, played much bigger roles than I did. Uh, John and Governor or John Walsh and Governor Snyder uh, being among those to help uh, convince Republicans that that this was the right thing to do. Because you know, you, you talk about your podcast being the aisle. This was a, this was the epitome of uh, of people coming together in the aisle. Uh, to get things done that were right right by our state. Uh, it, it was really uh, an inspiring piece of public policy to be a part of. That's excellent. And you bring up John Walsh and 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 some of the other members of the legislature that just really were, were fantastic partners. Um, I was in the Senate at the time and had the opportunity to work through these challenging topics. I wasn't a yes on everything, right? I mean, that was part of the challenge that you have. As a legislator, you've got to make those tough decisions. Uh, it, it makes me think about the tough decisions that have been made in just the last few weeks. My goodness, we're, we're just about, what, uh, 100 days since the start of the new legislature, something to that effect. And there's only been something to the effect of, what, 53 or 54 legislative days so far. Mm -hmm. uh, give us an insight into what it's like to, to be the vice president of, of government relations for the Detroit Regional Chamber when you see this kind of pace of election, or excuse me, of legislative activity at the Capitol? Yeah, so I had uh, a few weeks ago, I had a briefing uh, with our board. We have a board meeting every quarter as, as most nonprofits do. Um, and at the time I said to our board, uh, at this point in Governor Whitmer's first term, there were three public acts that had been passed. I think one was reorganizing a district court. The other one was to 
name a highway. You know, they were the types of uh, public acts that you expect at the beginning of the year, fairly inconsequential. Um, at that point, there had been 19 public acts passed this year. And, and now I just heard over the weekend, we're up to 32 public acts uh, as of this weekend. Um, we were at eight that the chamber had weighed in on. So that's that's a heavy lift for the first quarter of the year. And these weren't, you know, eight small bills that we were weighing on. These were, you know, expanding the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act to uh, include the LGBTQ plus community, uh, a huge uh, billion dollar uh, tax bill, uh, you know, expanding the uh, SOAR fund to lure battery plants uh, uh, for Ford and GM. These weren't small bills, so they really came out of the gate uh, faster than I think any legislature I've seen in the uh, you know nearly 25 years that I've been working around Lansing. Uh, and so it's been, uh, it's been a hectic pace uh, to start the year. I, I, and I think anyone would tell you that. It's been kind of nice these last couple of weeks when they've been working primarily on the budget as someone who doesn't work the appropriations process uh, as a matter of habit, you know, I've gotten a chance to kind of uh, take my breath as we've been preparing for the Mackinac conference. But, you know, they certainly came in uh, with an idea of what they wanted to accomplish uh, in uh, these first 100 days. And I think there were plenty of us uh, in the lobby corps who had questions as to whether or not they would be able to execute uh, on all of these things with a slim majority, uh, with new staff who had, you know, not sat in those uh, chairs before, uh, but we uh, we were wrong. Uh, they accomplished everything they wanted to accomplish uh, in the first uh, the first quarter and, and then some. Uh, and so it's been it's been um, remarkable to watch. You know, and, and there's been like like you said, John. There's been uh, some things we've agreed with, some things we the chamber have not agreed with, uh, but they certainly have moved uh, effectively to get their priorities in place. And so now, Brad, you're on the threshold of of bringing or executing one of the centerpieces of the Detroit Chamber's work. I mean, bringing uh, bringing uh, guests into Mackinac for a major policy discussion. Uh, what is the is there a theme, or what what will will be the rallying call? And then share with us, uh, if you will, some of just some of the layout of how this conference will will proceed. Yeah, I mean, let me just start by uh, kind of rewinding a little bit and say, you know, this is, you know, we've been I've been working at the chamber for 15 years. And of course, we skipped one conference uh, during the pandemic. So I guess this will be conference number 14 for me. Uh, and, you know, I, you know, as we were talking before we 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 got on the mic, um, you know, we just finished up our staff briefing uh, for the conference, and so there were uh, 50 of us uh, in the conference room upstairs going through uh, the schedule for this conference line by line, talking about each of our responsibilities uh, and the need for all of us to be excellent at customer service and uh, go above and beyond our day jobs and. You know, it always strikes me every year when we get to this point how much of a privilege it is to be a part of this institution. Uh, I remember, you know, before I started working at the chamber and I would, uh, you know, read whether it was in the free press or the news um, about this conference or hear um, some of the coverage on WJR and, and how uh, cool I thought it was that this conference even existed. And now the fact that I get to be 
uh, a part of putting it on really is really is an honor um, that that you know not just for me but for the entire chamber staff. This really is a an, an institution for Michigan that you know we couldn't recreate even if we wanted to. Uh, this is something that we're we're just standing on the backs of the people who decided to do this uh, forty some odd years ago. Um, but we do have a great theme this year that that you know we're really excited about. It's proven to be very sticky already. Um, the chair of the conference this year is Matt Elliott, who is the president of Bank of America for Michigan. Uh, and he told me last year when he got announced as the chair that the the, the theme was going to be the power of and. Uh, and so, you know, this goes very much along with what you guys talk about. Uh, that you we that have... Do you hear that? The power of and. Yes. And exactly. Yes. We'll yeah. deeper into that. Man. We need to have fewer either or conversations and more yes and conversations, just like you do uh, every week on on this podcast. Um, you know, we can get so rooted in our in our position that we don't stop to listen to what uh, the other side is saying. We just keep talking. Um, and if we just stop for a minute and listen, a lot of the problems that we face as Michiganders and Americans don't need to be solved with a either or, they can be solved with an and conversation. Um, and, and I know that both of you saw this while you were in the legislature. Uh, if, if two members of the legislature can meet in the aisle and have an and conversation, more often than not, we're gonna come to a better solution than if they're standing on either on uh, opposite sides of the aisle, yapping at each other from a podium. Absolutely, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. The, the most important experiences that I had and the most rewarding experiences that I had, and I, don't, I know, David, we've talked about this many times, were those times that we found common ground. Yes. And sometimes it's painful to get there. Yes. And in fact, some of these conversations may be painful looking at even the lineup at the, at the Detroit Chamber. <laughs> Talk to me about who you're most worried about of these incredible guests that you've got coming in from Congresswoman Liz Cheney to Mark Cuban to Mayor Duggan, of course, Governor Whitmer will be there. This is probably her 25th time that she's been on Mackinac for this, too. And then, of course, uh, Bill Ford, right? I mean, so who are you most concerned about that it, it, it could come off as something other than and? You know, that's a, that is a great question, John. I mean, I think when you talk about um, the folks that we look for for chamber, um, chamber speakers and for this conference, we're typically looking for and-type people. Yes. Um, you know, I, you know, one of the things I think we found a few years ago is what we, what we're more concerned about is it's the people outside of the conference, um, who aren't necessarily looking for and conversations. Um, you know, I'm trying to remember how long ago it was, maybe seven or eight years ago, we had, um, some folks who, who weren't, uh, registered for the conference come in and interrupt one of Governor Snyder's, uh, speeches with some protesting. Um, and you know those are those aren't and conversations. You know, there's certainly uh, time to um, you know voice your disapproval, uh, but that wasn't that wasn't part of that wasn't the time or the place uh, to do so. There's uh, there um, so I think the folks that we tend to bring in um, tend to be the 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 and parts of the conversation. Um, so I hope that is what we see we see come out of this. We can't control how the messages are received, uh, but we try and position, you know, not just the conference, but also um, the content uh, to help build a, a productive dialogue. Um, 
and help move this state forward. And, and I think a good example of that is, you know, something we just saw come out of the news in 2019. Uh, we had Steve Kiefer, who was then an EVP at General Motors, uh, come up at the conference. And, you know, a passion of his is distracted driving uh, and getting people uh, to uh, drive with their phones plugged in, use the CarPlay. Uh, and that was something that had been stalled in the legislature. We weren't able to get it moving. Uh, but the way we approached it uh, at the conference, we turned it into a to-do list item. We didn't make it. We didn't make it uh, us versus them. We just said this is something that's important to the business community. We're going to get it done. Lo and behold, the final bills just got passed uh, last week. They're on their way to the governor, and they're going to they're going to get signed. Uh, and so, we, when we're up there, we try not to throw bombs. We try not to blame people uh, when things are going our way. We try and find uh, solutions uh, for Michigan's big challenges. So, Brad, what do you anticipate some of the maybe two or three big issues uh, that are going to come up at, at the conference? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, David. I mean, I know my biggest issue is what flavor I'm going to get at the ice cream, uh, the ice cream uh, scoops getaway giveaway that they have. Uh, but I think here is that Wayne State things. University. Is that who hosts that? It's Michigan State. Host, Michigan host State hosts yes. the ice cream. Okay. And 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 rumor on the street is that there's going to be a special plush uh, mascot that shows up at Michigan State's uh, ice cream social. So if you're if you're a Spartan fan, uh, you you won't want to miss that. Um, here's here's what I think we're going to talk a lot about, David, is what the future of this state looks like. Um, you know, we've had a lot of big successes uh, in the last year or so. I mean, when you talk about the battery plants. Uh, that we've won. Uh, I think we've set ourselves up uh, to differentiate ourselves uh, between some of the Midwestern and Southern states on some some of our social issues. But what are the next steps we have to take as a state uh, to really start um, winning again, uh, to start growing our population again? Um, I think those that is going to be a, a big topic of conversation. Uh, you know, the SOAR fund has been our main mechanism to uh, attract businesses for the last oh, year or so. Uh, and, and we've all read about this in, in the news that, you know, we're writing uh, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of, worth of checks out of the SOAR fund uh, to get these battery plants. And that's exactly what we've needed to do. Um, if we do the next step of our economic development policy, right, then the SOAR fund can become less of a hundreds of millions of dollars worth of checks and hopefully uh, more the, the closing fund. Uh, where the governor can uh, can use this as a, a fund to say to a, a company, what do you need to help make this deal, get this deal across the line? Because we will have built the Michigan that has uh, the most talented workforce in the nation, that has uh, an, an abundance of uh, quality of life, has other uh, economic development tools that are targeted towards industries. Uh, and the SOAR fund, you know, rather than having $700 million to get a battery plant can be, you know, a more, uh, conservative, we can use it more conservatively uh, to to bring in uh, bring in projects. I think that is going to be one of the the most uh, robustly uh, discussed topics of conversation. You know, whether you hear it from uh, Governor Whitmer, uh, you know, Mr. Ford, uh, Mayor Duggan, I think all of those sorts of things you're going to hear is how do we how do we reverse uh, Michigan's? I, I wouldn't even say population drain, but population plateau. Uh, over the course of the last several decades. How are we going to be able to get people to fill all these jobs? I mean, there's thousands of these EV jobs 
in part because of the public policies surrounding SOAR, like you just mentioned. I'll tell you, everywhere that I go and everybody that I talk to in Michigan continues to to struggle to find talent. Is yeah. that a topic of, of conversation on the island? Because it sure is around every place I go. Yeah, it most definitely is. And it, 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 it's talent on the one hand. Um, you know, one thing I, I find really interesting is that Michigan actually does a pretty decent job of retaining our talent. Um, and, and we're going to have a report that we're releasing on the island that talks about that, that we've done uh, in concert with Richard Florida from the Creative Class Group. Um, and, and there's some really interesting data in there that, that I'm looking forward to being able to share. But Michigan does a really good job, actually, of retaining our college-age talent. What we don't do such a good job of is attracting college-age talent from out of state. Uh, and so if we can do a better job of bringing in uh, talent from Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana uh, to come and make their life in Michigan, that's going to help solve our problem. You know, the other thing, and I know, uh, John and David, you probably started to hear this while you were serving in the legislature, too, is in a lot of our communities, we're starting to have housing challenges, too. Um, it's, you know, in some places, it's affordable housing. In some places, it's just the existence of housing. Um, the entire lack of housing stock, that's the, right. The, the entire lack of housing. And so that's, you know, depending on where you're at in the state, that is manifesting itself in different ways. But when we polled our chamber members at the beginning of this year of the issues that were top of mind for them, for the first time this year, housing uh, popped up on that list. Uh, and so uh, beyond just, uh, you know, your average Michigander, this is a popping up into uh, employers' consciousness too. So I think, you know, beyond attracting, we, we need to do a better job of attracting our out-of-state talent, but also once they get here, we need to have more housing options for them. You know, and as Michigan, as Michigan does grow, because I firmly believe we are going to grow, we have an opportunity to do this better than they did it in California, better than they did it in Texas, and some of these other states that have grown really fast. And we can do this with smart housing policies uh, that allow people to uh, not only make a life here, but to continue their life here uh, once, once, and not get priced out of it. Brad, Brad uh, both uh, John and I have had the privilege of, of attending that Mackinac conference. Mm -hmm. One of the beauties of it that, that uh, at least for me and I recall, you have all this vast uh, people there that you, some you see on TV, some you know in the legislature, some, you know, everybody seems to be a, a celebrity of some sort, but you can just walk around and spend time with, they'll spend time with you. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, that was one of the beauties of, of this. You can ask questions, uh, not just in inside a conference, but just walking around. How many attendees are you anticipating Will, will be on the island uh, and how just an ordinary person sitting at home, how would they get information about some of the uh, things that are going on sure. in, the, in the conference? Yeah. So we have 1500 attendees uh, this year. And, um, you know, when you, when you, John and David were serving in the legislature, we probably cranked it up to about 1800 uh, some years. And then when the pandemic hit, we cranked it down and then we found people kind of liked it a little bit smaller. So we've kept it to about 1500 this year. And that seems to be about a good number. Um, and you're right. It is every time you turn around, it's like, Hey, I know who that person is. And it's still, you know, for a kid who grew up up North, it still kind of tickles me that some of these people know who I am. 
every time someone like John Pro says uh, <laughs> calls me by name, I think, oh man, I've really hit the big time now. Um, but you know, this is uh, this is a accessible conference. You know, it's it, it's not cheap to show up on the Grand Hotel porch. Uh, yeah. But most of the sessions are available for streaming. We partner with Detroit Public Television uh, to stream all the sessions that we are available to stream. There are some uh, speakers who, uh, by contractual uh, by contractual obligation, were not allowed to stream. But we stream as much of this as we can uh, because we don't want this conversation to be exclusive uh, to the people who are on the island. We want to uh, spread it out to as much of Michigan and, and frankly, the rest of the country uh, as, want, as wants to participate in. And of course, this year we have uh, the most uh, working media on the island as we have since before the pandemic. We have 120 media members who will be on the island. So um, even those uh, sessions that aren't streamed live, they certainly will be uh, well covered uh, by our friends in the media. Uh, so there will be uh, you know, plenty of opportunity for those people who aren't attending the conference uh, to participate. And you, know, you can, uh, of course, join join the conversation. There's an official conference hashtag is MPC23. Uh, I usually try and get to be the first person to use the uh, hashtag MPC24 by the end of uh, the end of the conference this year. So we'll see if someone can beat me to it uh, this year. But I'll, I'll, I'll try and tweet about MPC24 uh, by the end of the end of the conference this year. So if someone can beat me to it, um, good luck. Yes. Now I'm glad to hear that that it's going to be about 1,500 people. It is an extraordinary opportunity. Um, there was no room at the end, Brad. Any way you can get me into the Grand Hotel because I'm <laughs> off island. There's that's how that's how important this conference is to the state of Michigan. Is there's a bunch of people going, and I get to be in Mackinac City. I'm going to have to bring the ferry over early in the morning and late at night return. Yeah, let me tell you what, John. I don't me. even get in the Grand Hotel, yeah. so that let me tell you how 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 big a deal that is. Yeah, Rose. Don't lobby bread in the aisle. <laughs> I think that's where we get our best work done, David, right here in the aisle. <laughs> what, what, one of these years, John, I will get you in. Don't worry. We'll, I appreciate we'll, we'll it. Get you one of the, we'll get you in the presidential suite with the, with the nice balcony overlooking the streets. It's, it's, it's a fine way to live. I think that's a great way to live. Talk to me about Congresswoman Liz Cheney. I, this one is going to be a really interesting speaker at the conference, David. You know, she made a whole lot of noise by being one of the nine or 10 that voted for impeachment of then then President Donald Trump. Um, I'm curious, what what message do you expect her to bring? And and how did it come about that she was willing to come to, to speak at the Detroit Regional Chamber on Mackinac? Well, you know, I think, you know, Congresswoman Cheney has been pretty vocal about wanting to spread her her message of, uh, you know, make, putting democracy first and and putting uh, principles first, the principle of, you know, uh, you know, our democracy being the most important thing first. Uh, and so Michigan being a, a very important state, it's no surprise that, uh, that she wants to be a part of it. And, you know, I, I don't think there, I, I don't think, I know there are some people who don't love to hear what she has to say, uh, but the chamber has uh, planted our flag in the ground um, from a pretty early, uh, pretty early point that that we agree with her that you know while we are a bipartisan organization uh, and we are very proud of the fact that you know virtually every election cycle uh, when you look at our endorsement list it's 50% Republicans and 50% Democrats so that's that's intentional uh, but we're also very uh, very uh, firm in the fact that. Uh, we have elections. Uh, our elections, particularly the 2020 election, uh, was fair. Uh, it was well run, and uh, 
that there are there are certain uh, boundaries that that can't be crossed. And you know, we think that uh, Congresswoman Cheney has been a really strong representative of of her party. We wish there were uh, more people who were willing to take a, a stand like her. You know, and we've been fortunate in Michigan that we we have had. Um, some really good, strong, principled Republican members of Congress. Um, you know, your former boss, John Fred Upton, has been has been one of them. Uh, former Congressman Peter Meyer uh, has been another one of them. I think even Governor Snyder has been really vocal uh, about his feelings uh, about uh, protecting our democracy. So uh, while, you know, she may uh, ruffle some feathers by uh, for some folks who are currently elected, I think uh, those who are uh, who are uh, of good conscience uh, are going to enjoy her her message, and I think she's going to be uh, really uh, inspiring for most of our our participants as well. Brad, uh, what, b- before our time is over uh, in the aisle, uh, it, my experience has been usually that there's some major announcement that comes out of out of this conference. Mm-hmm. Can you? share any tidbit of of uh, surprise that that yeah, while you're here in the aisle i i can't i i i don't the 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 honest answer david and i'm not trying to i'm not trying to be coy is i don't know for sure uh these things sometimes come together at the last minute sometimes they're well planned but i will tell you this is that uh you know yesterday i had a conversation um we are having our, our annual Detroit Chamber PAC reception uh, on Thursday afternoon, and the quadrant, the, the four legislative leaders are going to be uh, on the stage for that. And Guy Gordon from WJR is moderating it, and he asked uh, the same question. Um, and uh, the, 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 press, the press folks for the quadrant were participating in that call, and they were all kind of looking at each other uh, on screen and not really saying much. And, and and my comment was to Guy is that I think you know based on uh, my knowledge of what's going on in the legislature and the 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 lack of real substantive committee uh, announcements this week is my guess is that if there is news to be made it's going to be budget related. Um, I think you know we all saw the consensus revenue estimates came out last week. Um, you know I think they are about where most people expected them to be. Um, I don't see it being exceptionally difficult uh, with a trifecta for them to come up to a, a, a target um, agreement. I think if I were to, if I were a betting man, um, it wouldn't surprise me if they had a target agreement um, sometime next week. Uh, but I but I wouldn't you know I wouldn't bet my house on it. Um, <laughs> you know uh, you know you you guys both having uh, you know been in those rooms before probably have a have a better hunch as to how quickly they can get targets done. But if they were going to, if they were going to say something that really made a splash, that would be my guess is that it would be related to targets. Thank you. Uh, I expect that that's going to be the case. I think you're right. I, I think, uh, like you said, it's the trifecta. So the Democrats controlling all three legs of the stool. I think that they're going to be able to build that budget, David, pretty quickly. I, th- I think, uh, I think Brad's spot on on that one. I, 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 as we kind of think about wrapping up here, I, I, I've got another question for you. And, and I'll tell you, the thing that, that I'm most impressed with and I enjoy the most about our work together, David, is that we, we get to talk about some things that might be a little uncomfortable. I, I recall the sheriff from Washtenaw uh, where we talked at length about the, 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 the Floyd murder and mm-hmm. 
and what that impact was uh, on he and his department when there was an officer-involved shooting just 24 hours after that incident in Minneapolis. Um, these are big and tough issues. Uh, Brad, you, you, you've you stepped into big and tough issues on behalf of the chamber. It's a member-driven organization. Mm-hmm. Um, as we think about closing out, w- what do you expect to be the big issue going forward? You've tackled some big ones, and you're going to have a whole lot of conversation on the island. Um, is it is it bipartisanship? Is it civility? Where, where do we see this going as the big issue coming up next? I mean, yes, I think it is. But I, I think, you know, John, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you're talking about uh, Washtenaw County. I mean, I think we have not completely dealt with the race issue in in Michigan. I think there's still a lot of division uh, around race uh, in Michigan. I just saw a, a, an article in the paper today that maybe Detroit isn't the largest majority black city in America anymore, that maybe Memphis surpassed us. That doesn't change the fact that Detroit is still a majority black city um, surrounded by, um, you know, suburbs that are increasingly diverse. uh, But there's still, um, you know, there's still a a, a stain of racism uh, in this region that um, that that hasn't completely gone away. Um, And I think people like you and I, don't completely have our arms wrapped around. David certainly does, but you and I don't. Uh, and the one thing I've learned um, sitting in this chair as a uh, as a white guy um, trying to represent a majority black city uh, is that you know you don't get credit for good intentions until you've built um, the trust to earn them. Uh, and I think that's one thing, folks like you and I. It takes a while for us to understand. Um, that even our best intentions aren't good enough until we built built up that level of trust, um, and that's just work that we have to do, uh, and 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 learning that we have to do um, as as a majority population. You know, even though we might not be the majority population uh, for much longer, that's that's just a matter of work, um, and that's um, you know there's policies that we can do, uh, but 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 that's you know that's a spiritual change too and a cultural change. Um, you know, I don't know how, how much either of you follow it, but I was following over the weekend in Spain. Uh, there's a, a, a black Brazilian soccer player who uh, was thrown out of the game because he reacted to uh, some heckling, racist heckling from the stands. Um, and that's, that, that's, you know, more and more relevant uh, or more and more uh, prevalent in soccer matches in Europe. Um, and there's not anything you can do legally to change that right like if people are going to be jerks people are going to be jerks so there's there's a spiritual and a cultural change that has to be made um you know and i think that that's true here in michigan too and i just don't think that's that's that there's there's a lot there's a lot that we can overcome once we overcome those issues but you know as we know uh that this is a a 250 year old problem in the united states that um you know we're not going to solve overnight but that doesn't mean we can't work on it I appreciate that. Let me let me suggest this from where where I sit and from my observations, uh, Brad. I I can say this that things sometimes are baby steps, and I think your CEO uh, Sandra Barua and your board chair uh, understand the words that you just spoke here, and I think that they've set the chamber, all of you, your staff, your leadership has set the chamber on uh, walking the talk, demonstrating through their hiring practices and the things that you do and the issues that you undertake, that you understand this issue 
and that you are in fact dealing with it in the way that you can deal with it by example. So I hope you carry that message uh, to, uh, to your board uh, that what you do and how they're thinking about this uh, may not seem to bear fruit, uh, but the seeds are being planted. I appreciate that, David. We're trying every day. That's excellent. I'll tell you what, this has been great. Brad, I know you've got just a huge uh, agenda ahead of you as you prepare for the Mackinac Policy Conference in just a few days. Uh, we're excited to kick off season two with you as our lead guest. Thank you for that opportunity. And uh, I know on behalf of uh, Representative Rutledge, it is great to be together in the aisle with you again today. And David, one last comment from you and we'll close it out. I'd just like to say a heartfelt thank you to Brad. Uh, and I have enjoyed uh, this session in the aisle and I hope our audience does as, as much as I've enjoyed it. Excellent. Well, and David and John, thank you so much for the work you do. This is, this is such a constructive and positive force. And, and, and you know, thank, me, thank you for letting me in the aisle. As a former Senate staffer, I was never allowed uh, in the aisle. So this really feels like a privilege. <laughs> David wasn't allowed in the aisle either, if you remember. I do. <laughs> That's great. We'll go ahead and close this out. We appreciate the opportunity to be together in the aisle. Representative David Rutledge, myself, John Prose, and Brad Williams. Thank you much. Have a Thank you for joining us today for the Isle podcast. If you liked today's discussion, be sure to like, subscribe, and share the Isle podcast on Facebook, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also find us at theislepodcast.com. So step into the aisle and make a difference in your life, just like our guest today. And we'll see you in the aisle.